We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always my co-host, Nick Pilato. Today we're here to talk about the New York Giants defense on the All-22 film from their first preseason game. We're going to do it similar to how we did the offensive film review, point by point, starting with important topics. And there's no better place to start, Nick, than the defensive back. So let's get right into it. You're going to give your takes. I'm going to give my takes. I'm going to let you start wherever you want to start with the defensive backs. Because there's a lot to talk about between Banks, Hawkins, and Pinnock. Those are the three names I wanted to bring up. Jason Pinnock had three impactful plays on the first five reps of the game. He had the tackle for a loss, which was the second one, the interception, which is the least impressive one. That was more of a check in the box for Timon Fox. Then the tackle for a loss on the blitz. And then also he had the PBU on the fourth and one to Sam Laporta, which was really good coverage on a horizontal cross and a solid throw. Laporta probably should have held onto it. But if you watch closely, Pinnock gets his fist in there and punches it out yes. from the Iowa Hawkeye rookie. Very impressed by Jason Pinnock. And also just from a scheme perspective, Wink Martindale, I love watching this guy because he runs his system, maybe not to the maximum degree in preseason, but if you were to just put on tape and not know what teams were and just saw what they did from an X's and O's standpoint, all 32 teams would be like, oh, that's Wink Martindale's defense. And that's one thing that I really appreciate. You nailed it. If you do like, you know, sometimes the next gen stats do the things where they like move the players around. You don't see the actual players, but it's just movement of like almost like a chessboard, like X and O's. You're right. No one is doing what this dude is doing in the preseason. You talked about last pod. We we're talking about offense. Like the Lions are running just like a lot of basic cover too. It's like even the Lions and they're in the regular season. They're a pretty diverse scheme. Like they do a lot of different things in the regular season. In preseason, they're like, no, we don't do anything in preseason. Wink, for some reason, doesn't get that memo that all other NFL defense coordinators have. And you like, don't run that crazy stuff. Up and they're like, we're seeing like safeties dropping into the middle half from the line of scrimmage in the game. Like, we saw that a couple times. Like, what is going on, Wink? I don't know. But you mentioned Pinnock first, and we did talk a little scheme. Let's talk Pinnock. I agree with you. All maybe the least impressive play was the interception. But one thing I want to say about that that did impress me a little bit was the depth that he came from because it wasn't like a cover two or a two high shell where he's just he's just sitting there and it's literally just falling into him. Yes, he got over there pretty easy and the ball floated up there and it wasn't like a great throw by any means. And it didn't have a lot of zip on it, but he did come from like middle of the field, closed look basically, um, even shading a little toward the right half all the way over to the left to make that interception. So I thought that was somewhat impressive, at least from that standpoint. And I definitely liked the look that he had on 
that tackle for a loss because it was a really interesting look. The Lions at 12 personnel with the wide receivers tight. And the Giants had four down linemen and, and kind of a light box look, but they just kind of like wink Martindale them and they had guys coming from directions that the offensive line didn't pick up. The Lions were, were uh, pulling guys on that play too, which kind of they didn't get to their spots and Pinnock just had started that thing right there. And that's something we've t- talked about with Jason Pinnock is acceleration, his athleticism at the position. He tested really well. You went over that on a few podcasts ago, which is an elite level testing and the coverage skills, which we talked about too on previous podcasts as a former corner, that play on the Porta was really strong. Like, like you said, he got his hand in there, punched that out, stopped the big fourth down, super awesome play. And something lastly that stood out to me about Pinnock five snaps, Nick pulled immediately. What does that tell you? It tells you all to know this is his job. Like he's won this job already. He is the starting safety next to Xavier McKinney when week one happens, unless something crazy happens from this point on. We were a little concerned about the safety position just going into training camp because there was so much uncertainty. I think Jason Pinnock has solidified himself as that number two opposite Xavier McKinney, but Dane Belton had an interception as well. The Giants had two interceptions in this game, and I get it. They weren't the uh, best interceptions. A lot of them was Nate Sudfeld either getting hit or Nate Sudfeld just being wildly inaccurate and bad with the football in terms of poor decision-making on the Dane Belton interception. But the Giants had two interceptions. They only had six the entire season last year. So it says something. And we know Dane Belton is also a ball hawk. So that's going to be possibly your third safety with also Bobby McCain operating as a, a nickel overhang slot type of player who can also play safety. It just goes to the positionless defense that Wink Martindale is really trying to establish here in New York. So I was really impressed with the five snaps that we did see from Jason Pinnock. And I think his pro football focus grade is probably through the roof. Like it has to be well yeah. into the nineties. because <laughs> he, made, he made some really, really, really impressive plays, but the cornerbacks, I want to talk about these two cornerbacks, Trey Hawkins and Deontay Banks. I felt like both of those guys looked very exceptional in coverage, very sticky there was a play where Trey Hawkins surrendered a catch in the flat, came right down, click and close. He was on from depth, made the tackle. No yards after the catch. Deontay Banks, I put this up on Twitter. He was playing and I way got, off on that play. He was playing off a lot yeah. and making Yeah, those Trey plays. Hawkins, yes. Yeah, I felt like both of them were exceptional in coverage. The Deontay Banks play against Jameson Williams, I got a little bit of pushback on Twitter because I put it up saying that Jameson Williams has to catch that football. And Deontay Banks was beat. I probably should have termed it better because Deontay and Banks was in the Nick Filatoism. You you are very harsh on receivers. You think anything should be caught basically that hits them anywhere near the top. Uh, no, no, I don't care. Like that was great coverage. Well, not saying that's Deontay a bad thing. I just know that's your bar. Like you with Giants receivers, too, you always feel like if it's yeah. near them, it's catchable. Like even if it's like kind of behind them, if it hits their <laughs> hands, they gotta catch it. You got to catch it. I'm sorry, man. I grew up catching the football playing yeah. when I did play football. And if I dropped it, like that's that's something that I'm going to hear about. That's that's uh-huh. a huge indictment on me. And Jameson Williams is a top 12 pick. And there wasn't a lot of space there, but he had a step on Deontay Banks. But Deontay Banks' coverage was excellent. But what do we always say on the podcast and just talking about football? A great elite throw beats great elite coverage. And that yeah. was an elite throw from Nate Sudfeld. It hit Jameson Williams in the hands. He should secure that. And I get Deontay Banks was pretty prompt with attacking Jameson Williams. But if you watch that play, at least my interpretation, I know a lot of people have different interpretations of this. Jameson Williams was dropping that regardless. It hit him in the hands and like popped up in the air, it seemed like to me, even though. Deontay Banks makes contact. It seemed like he was dropping it before the contact was made, which this is kind of what Jameson Williams has done so far through his very short career. He's had these drop issues, but still, regardless of that fact, Deontay Banks was in excellent position to at least tackle Jameson Williams if he did secure the football. I came away very impressed. Also with the OPI that wasn't called, Deontay Banks was in good position on that fade. And there was another play that I put on Twitter 
where it was just a comeback route, a short comeback route where Deontay Banks ran the route for the receiver. It's like he knew what was coming. And then he came off and tackled the drag route that was actually caught from the tight end. So I'm very happy with what I saw from the young cornerbacks, specifically that duo. And then obviously Jason Pinnock, who just turned 24, mind you. This isn't somebody who is 24 and about to turn 25. Jason Pinnock just turned 24 years old. This could be a huge get for the New York Giants and a big mistake by Robert Salah and the Jets. Yeah, I want to talk about the corners, but I do want to say one point on Pinnock. I'm getting very, very excited about him being a potential steal play for the Giants right now and a potential like unheralded big time contributor this year because we're not talking about someone who's having a good camp, won the job, but has like minimal athleticism. We're talking about someone with elite level type athleticism, really good ability driving downhill, now showing off coverage skills potentially. And that's where I start to get excited because there's no reason in the world why Pinnock can't be their next big fine and a big contributor for them. And I know this is going to hurt to hear, Nick, but like I said this before, I still think the ceiling with Pinnock could be higher than Love. I just feel that way. I feel he's a better mover. I feel he's more athletic than Love. I feel he's better in coverage and under has better understanding in coverage. And again, I just think he's a better driver downhill in the line of scrimmage with more physicality at the point of contact. I don't think that's a ridiculous statement, Dan. I think there is a higher ceiling. He just needs to play it. And I don't know if he's going to be as versatile. So there's reasons to believe that he might not reach it. But in terms of the potential, yeah, I think it's certainly there. Because this is a six foot one, 205-pound safety with 95th percentile 10-yard split. You're talking about very, very quick and close downhill very quickly. He has all that within his wheelhouse. Yes, exactly right. And also somewhat like a conversion because again, he played a lot of corn. Like it's one yeah. of those balls of clay that you're molding and it takes time essentially to mold, but maybe now it's clicking. Maybe they've molded it themselves. These giants coaches, they've had a year to work with them last year. Now full off season. He's really heading up steam. So to me, I'm excited about that with love. I personally felt like the ceiling was cat based on his athleticism. I hate to say it just my take on the love situation. I never saw as many play. He was in the right position a lot. And that may be something that I regret Nick saying, because with Jason Pinnock's out of position or like Belton was on that one Pierce run last year, Damien Pierce run. Like that's the type of shit that kills you. Cause then these guys go for 60 when love would have been there making the play. So I don't want to go crazy on that, but I do want to say one thing on that now to the corners. I love the three reps you brought up about banks. I want to start with the Jameson Williams one. What impressed me about that most, anyone could, you know, we can have the argument all day if we want to about if that should have been a catch, if that should have not been a catch, if, the, if he would have got his hand in there or if a good receiver would have secured it and that wouldn't have done it, which you're probably right about. But what I like is he's playing off coverage on the play. And what I loved about it is the way he was positioned with his hips and his legs. He had to flip his hips to then carry that route out with Jamison Williams, who was running on a, a vertical, but kind of like a across the field type of vertical and the recovery speed. So you could say anything you want about Jamison Williams struggle so far in the NFL, as far as catching the football and concentration issues, which lines have discussed. We saw it in that play. But speed is not something that's an issue for Jamison Williams. He was an electric player who on film, me and you loved. You loved him in that class, Nick, because at any, maybe he hasn't recaptured. I think he probably has. But at Bama, he was just losing defenders on the vertical plane. And after the catch, which is unbelievable breakaway speed, Jalen Waddle type stuff. And so for Banks to be able to flip his hips on that rep and carry that shit and basically be in his hip pocket. Yeah, he doesn't get there perfectly, but he is damn close. That was super impressive. And he was tasked with covering Williams almost all game. That there's a much better, you know, we're talking about Lions. Yes, they played a lot of second team guys on both sides. But Williams is a first team level talent 
that Banks was forced to, you know, tasked with covering in this game. So I love those reps. The rep you talked about where the, where he ran that stop route, that comeback route, and he ran it for the receiver. That's probably overall the rep that the Giants uh, coaches look at on tape review today and be like, yeah, and they're smiling and they're showing in, they're running it back. I actually like the rep he had on. I'm curious to get your take because you're a better uh, film evaluator, obviously, than me, and you have more technical ideas on this. I like the rep he had on the Belton interception personally, because I felt like if belt, if that ball was thrown on target, obviously it was like way behind the receiver, but it was thrown on target. I thought banks was going to get in there with his hand and knock that thing down, or at least get it to the contact point where to the catch point where he would have had his hand in between the ball and the receiver's left arm. And, and that was Williams, I believe as well, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was. It Williams. Was. And so I actually like that rep as well, too. He got a little handsy at one point in that rep, and that might have been called in the NFL and like real games. I don't know, but I actually like that rep, too. So I thought those were four really strong reps from him in the game. And he looked the part, just like we talked about before with John Michael Schmitz. The moment was not too big for him. He wasn't super overwhelmed by it at all. I will have to rewatch that rep. It seemed like yeah. there was maybe a little bit of space between Williams and Banks out the break on the yeah. interception rep. But the thing I love most about Banks and one of the reasons why I was so excited when the Giants drafted him is he makes that a split second affair, not a full second affair yes. because he is so damn quick and he has excellent recovery speed and he's very, very springy. This is a sticky man coverage cornerback. And I know this was a first round pick that the Giants traded up to secure. And I was very impressed with what we saw from Deontay Banks. I don't need to spend a ton of time here because we already touched on it. Trey Hawkins is a six round pick. Every NFL team had a chance at this guy. And watching the tape, and I don't want to be hyperbolic here. I was, I was That's good. Yeah. I was like, wow, this, this guy is, is good because even when the catch happens, he is damn so determined, Dan, to come down and make the hit and secure the tackle. I think he had one missed tackle in this game in the flat where I was like, oh, okay, yep. he missed a tackle there. And it was early on, but then he made a couple other ones a little bit later. And he just always seemed to be in pretty solid position. So I'm, you know, I, I don't love the idea of starting two rookie cornerbacks and I still don't. And if that were the case, Nate Sudfeld is the quarterback in this game. The opposing quarterbacks who are starting for NFL teams are going to be much more of a challenge for players like Trey Hawkins and, and Deontay. We have a tougher Bay. quarterback schedule this year too. Much tougher. We have a much tougher quarterback schedule, so that could be an issue. But I, uh, I still, man, just from a man coverage standpoint, against wide receivers who might make the Lions team, I just, uh, I came away impressed. But I will say this too, man: Deontay Banks played the slot when Jamison Williams was going there. Yep. So that's maybe something else, and we saw that a like little that bit too. at Illinois. Yeah, he I was like aligning Paul, in the slot. Yep. He was following nine, baby. And I was like, oh, Deontay Banks in the slot now. And he looked capable doing so. So if that's something that the Giants can have, Dory Jackson and if Trey Hawkins can, and again, it's no certainty that Trey Hawkins is going to maintain this level of play. But if he can in the regular season, Trey Hawkins, Dory Jackson on the outside, Deontay Banks in the slot, and then you can put a Dory Jackson in the slot and right. then Deontay Banks can go outside. It just gives you more options. And that's all we're looking for. And that's right, because and I'll get to the my specific thoughts on Hawkins too, but I want to talk about the potential combination for the regular season because you, you nailed it. Like, we're seeing Cordell Flott struggle a little bit in camp, right? And he didn't look great, in my opinion, in this game. We'll get to him in a second, but I thought the the, the pass breakup he made on the on the throw to the end zone was not a good rep from him. I know it's considered a PBU, I guess, and like all things work out fine. I thought it was bad. He got beat bad on that corner route, and he's just not very sudden, in my opinion, right now. He doesn't look it right now. But with him struggling a little bit, and with Darnay Holmes, like, yes, getting a lot of reps as the first-team nickel, but let's be honest, Nick, we don't really love it in the regular season from a coverage standpoint. We've seen it a lot already on film. It's hard to imagine it takes a big jump out of nowhere. Their best combo might just be to have those three on the field, Hawkins, Adoree, and Banks, and you can mix and match as far as Adoree sometimes in the slot, Banks sometimes in the slot. 
but it just might end up being, and I don't know that for sure, but with Hawkins, you talked about it. Like he had the one bad rep where he missed that tackle. The very next time he was thrown to a seven yard stop route to Williams, he drove on that and made an awesome form tackle. The very next time he had the opportunity to, that's what I love to see from players like Hawkins, young players like that. Like you make a mistake and on your very next opportunity, you correct that. And it was a sick form tackle. Like he got him bang, hits him, form tackle, he's on the ground, there's no chance for yards after the catch. That stood out to me about Hawkins. I really like to see that in this game, because that's just like something that stands. And the other thing I would say is like, what you mentioned before, and I've mentioned it too, it's like, the moment didn't feel that big for him either, and that's tough for these six-round picks, right? Like, we've seen a lot of these corners the Giants have tried out in the back end of drafts that just look so completely outmatched from the get-go, and you're like, oh my God, these guys look terrible on an NFL field. It's in your head. Like you don't say it out loud. We're trying to be positive about it. Like, oh, he's just struggling. He needs to work on his technique. But it's like, you kind of see it right away. You're like, nah, he's overmatched at the NFL level. It didn't feel that way with Hawkins. And that was definitely something to be excited about, I thought. Definitely didn't feel that way. And he just seems to have the right temperament, chip on his shoulder, physicality. There's, there's a lot to like. Great size, great athletic ability, length. Everything that you want, and he's also putting some solid tape out there. So yeah, a lot of reasons to be excited. Let's hope that that trajectory con- continues to ascend because we know how fluky that can be sometimes, especially for yeah. day three guys. Right. Um, anything else on the on on some of the other D backs we saw? Flot, I, I made some comments on. You can touch on those or or anything else with the second team D backs. It would have been a touchdown if Nate Sudfeld put the ball where it was yeah. supposed to be against Cordell Fly. I think that's where he hurt his abdomen. I don't think he played after that. And I think he also surrendered a catch uh, earlier in the game on like a deep yeah. out route. So it wasn't it wasn't great. But uh, Javarius Owens is the other player I wanted to bring up. The safety Javarius Owens. One of the things we loved about him coming out of Houston was his eyes and how he just always seemed to have a high football IQ, understood route concepts. He drove on the football on the horizontal cross that came underneath the clear out route that was supposed to occupy Javarius Owens and almost came away with an interception. If you watch that, he's playing middle of the field close. There could be snaps for the middle of the field close safety. The guy who has to have range, which Javarius Owens does possess. My issue with him coming out of college was run support, run defense. But in terms of his IQ and his speed out of his breaks and using timing and space to his advantage. I felt like he did a good job on that one rep that I'm referring to. And he also displayed that at Houston. I put it up on Twitter. If anybody wants to go and check it out, I wish we had the play in front of us, but he knew what the lions were running. He saw the clear out. He saw the horizontal cross, knew that he was going to have an end man on the line of scrimmage because it's wink Martindale. I think it was Haba Baldonado who dropped off the line of scrimmage to be the middle hook zone defender against this wide receiver. That wide receiver is going to be open. He was open. And I don't know who the quarterback was. It might've been Sudfeld or might've been Martinez tried to fit the football in there. And Javarius Owens drove through the outside shoulder and almost came away with a pick. That's a lot of processing right there for a seventh round rookie. So I'm hoping this kid makes the team. I think there's definitely some meat on the bone for Javarius Owens. I just believe he has to prove himself on special teams to secure that roster spot. But I was impressed from what I saw. No, I think it's a great point because when we when you watch the film, what stood out to you? It stood out to you that he was a little further advanced than you would expect for someone who got drafted that late as far as coverage goes. And it doesn't make it's not that big of a surprise. He's played corner, I believe, in his career, but he missed a lot of tackles. That was my biggest thing with him. Just like if you're missing tackles as a safety, you're just never really going to get on the field. Because like you saw like in the time that bass with coaches, they'll pull you right off the field if you miss a tackle. Um, so like that is just the, something that he could clean up, right? Like it's you, you, you learn the form tackling or you just practice it and you get better at it. But I do think the instincts that you discussed, Nick, those you can't teach. That's either there or it's not there at the safety position and at the linebacker position, in my opinion, as well. We're not talking about that right now, but so I'm definitely intrigued to see him. Let's shift over here to the edges who had a really interesting, the edge situation was really interesting. I thought in this game, 
Toman Fox, man, he's going from like a good story last year. Like this cool guy out of nowhere was a UDFA. He made the roster nice to maybe just maybe this dude is solidifying himself already as the potential edge three on this roster. And it's weird because like, we don't know what we consider Jihad Ward. Is he the edge three kind of like, obviously they didn't play him in this game, the giants. So like there's, they really believe that he has a role that he needs that they need him for. They don't want to risk an injury. But there needs to be like the pass rushing edge three, let's call it like the, the third best guy to come off the edge as a pass rusher. And Tamon Fox, man, you want to solidify yourself. You want to prove to the coaches that like what you're doing in camp is going to translate. What do you do on your first opportunity in the preseason? You win your rep as a pass rusher. You force an errant throw, which never happens without you getting to the quarterback and hitting him. And it leads to an interception. Like that's just a perfect start for you in the preseason. And it's really interesting, but I think at this point, I have him over O'Shane Zimenez. Zimenez. Part of me wishes, yeah, part of me wishes in an alternate universe that he didn't win that rep just to see what was going to happen with Jason Pinnock because Pinnock was reading Sudfeld yeah. well, and I want to see if Pinnock was going to make a play on a well-placed football. Right. That's something that could have happened. To Timon Fox, to that point, I think you're spot on. There is a reality where he is going to win the edge three spot in terms of rushing the passer over O'Shane Zimenez. It's just do the Giants trust him to drop into coverage? And I think Hobble Baldonado can get thrown into this equation yeah. as well. I know he played with the third team. He moved around in space adequately. Good. I think he had a PBU, had a couple pressures. He had the sack that was called back and then sacked Martinez a couple plays later. It was a stupid callback. He might have contacted yeah. the head, but it, it is what it is. It's the NFL. Yeah. But Baldonado showed some, some uh, power in his rush. And in terms of Fox, Fox has power. Fox has explosiveness. And on that first play, he had some pass rushing moves, which is something we saw at UNC. We were a little yeah. unsure why he was undrafted because he was right. productive at UNC. And that was a violent chop of the outside great arm. Hand usage. Great hand usage. And it seemed like telling the all 22 that he contacted the inside shoulder with with his inside arm to get the tackle off balance then he chopped and then he bent around the edge landed the rip move and he showed solid bend stumbled a little bit regained his balance and then just hit nate sudfeld in the ass to force that throw yeah you also watched some run game plays oh that was what you i was like, gonna say my favorite rep from wasn't even that one that that was the one where he was what was he like a three i or like what was that what was he lined up as there inside though um what was it i think it was a four i think it was a four eye okay on the inside though which oh so oh the inside then he was a three technique on the outside guard yeah the three when he came across the guard and made the play on gibbs for like a three yard stop that was an incredibly impressive play by him right there i did not think he had that even in his repertoire his arsenal and obviously it's like a leverage battle win there and the giants think he can do it but that play he made in the run game was probably my favorite play of him on film we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. 
Need to hire? You need Indeed. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Yeah, I'm, uh, I was excited with Timon Fox. I was also pleased with what I saw from Hoppa Baldonado in terms of in terms of rushing the passer. I think against the run, there were a couple plays where he basically got hinged away from his responsibility yeah. and it led to like a six-yard rush. Nothing too damning, but still the continuity of the defense. We always talk about continuity, continuity, continuity. You need to execute your assignment and your responsibility. And there were a couple run plays where he didn't do the best job. But there's another edge rusher, defensive lineman, the yeah. former LSU, Tayshawn Bauer. I felt like he popped on tape. He had a couple plays, and it's not just the one play where the wide receiver tried running some sort of drag route, and he just absolutely yeah. just annihilated his life and stole his soul. I'm not just referring to that. There were plays where he was in the backfield. I think he knocked the pass down. He was getting pressure on Sudfeld and Martinez. I didn't expect to be coming away from this game thinking, you know what, 94 is a shot at this roster, because there were a lot of these defensive linemen who ate snaps, but that's all they're doing. They're going to be cut. A lot of players you saw like that on film. Bauer wasn't one of them, especially at a position where there's some snaps up in the air. So if he can continue that into Carolina and against the Jets, he might be a name to monitor that could be a surprise. Somebody who earns a roster spot like Pumon Fox was last year. I think it's a good call by you, Nick, especially with the injury situation like Ryder Anderson and things like that. They're not as deep as they maybe wanted to be with that front seven. Um, let's move over to the interior defensive line a little bit. Jordan Riley specifically. I mean, look, when the Giants drafted Jordan Riley, they said to us, like, we don't care what you guys think of what your evaluation of on tape was. We like our evaluation because he does what we want. He has length and pop on contact. And that's what we want. They're not like, is he going to be a pass rusher for the Giants, Nick? No, probably not. Like, that's OK. He's filling a role potentially that they really need in the interior of that defensive line. I thought he was really unmovable and just really overall, just like good fun to watch on tape in this game. And I really like what I saw from him. He has what they say. He has what's advertised. He has pop on contact and he has length up front. That's really important on the interior defensive line. He threw the guard out of the club on the first yeah. goal at the seven yard line and just tackled the vinyl along with Bauer, who was in on that play, who did a good job avoiding the capping because it was an inside zone run, split zone. He avoided the tight end. We talked about that last preseason because Kayvon Thibodeau was hurt against the Bengals on the similar type of rushing concept. Bauer did a good job to avoid it. It was pretty bad by the, uh, by the capper. But also, Riley just threw the guard aside, presented his chest right in the rushing lane, ate both A-gaps, and then made the tackle. So I, I came away impressed with, with his overall strength and his ability to kind of dictate terms on the – off in the trenches and against those interior offensive linemen. Yeah, I think you nailed that. Let's wrap up by talking a little bit about linebacker play. I We talked about this little off pod, Nick, but there was obviously the one play where the Giants linebackers, once again, like reminded me of like the 2022 tape where they're all moving in one direction post-snap and the play is going to the other and they're just completely taking themselves out of the play. That's second team. Like they have to keep all this into consideration. Like Carter Coughlin played, I think the most snaps of all the linebackers or at least with the in the first half. And it's like, 
no offense to Carter Coughlin, but he's not going to play any snaps in the regular season as a, as a linebacker unless things go like terribly wrong. No, no offense again to Carter Coughlin. It's just not like even Cam Brown. I saw in a couple reps where I was just like, shit, like Cam Brown I don't <laughs> think really has it. Like there was a pass rushing rep where he was just like non-existent on. It's like, all right, like we can we can kind of turn the page maybe on those guys being defense contributors. They're still great special teamers. So it's like that's you have a role, but. McFadden's probably the one that I care about focusing on here, Nick, because he has an opportunity to play in the regular season. We don't know the Darian Beaver situation. He didn't play in this game. The expectation is they're managing his reps, but I just don't know any more details on it. So as far as McFadden goes, he could end up having a much bigger role than expected early in the season if Beavers is brought along slowly, which again, we don't know, but could be the case. What did you see from McFadden in this game? Two plays that really stuck out. Second quarter, 634 left in the game. It was a skip-pull shotgun run by the Detroit Lions, and Michael McFadden followed the puller perfectly, filled the hole, just kill and spill, spilled the run to the outside where Dane Belton was. Dane Belton actually ended up missing the tackle, and the Giants had like two more defenders there, and it ended up going for like two yards to Divine Azigbo. I felt like that was a really good play, but my favorite play was a counter run in the second quarter, 1027 left, where a counter run backside guard's going to pull and it was I formation. So the fullback also pulled. And that was the player who was tasked to eliminate Micah McFadden. Micah McFadden was so quick, Dan, and so violent, got so low to the outside of Cabinda and just stopped Cabinda right in the gap to the point where the running back had to bounce it to the outside to where there was really no space, ended up getting tackled. That was a very good play. The Giants last season could have used that. There were a couple yeah. plays last year where I saw Micah McFadden execute similar in that manner. We've said we like Micah McFadden within the box. We think he's very physical. And one of the things I think you and I both loved about Micah McFadden was how low he can get to the ground while he maintains his balance. And he did that on the play. If he can continue and be more consistent with plays like that against counter rushing schemes, then count me in as him as the starter next to Bobby O'Karake. I don't have too much more to add to that because I thought it was pretty elite analysis by you. You touched on the things we liked about his Indiana film. It's driving downhill from within the box and winning the leverage battle. I agree. That's the play I had certain. I wrote that play down too because that was the play that stood out to me as best play of the game by far. I like how you said the Giants could have used that last year. That's a good sign to, to him potentially like making plays this year for them. And I still think he can potentially for them. I didn't get a lot of opportunities to see what scares me the most about having McFadden on the field, which is just like the lateral agility, the flipping the hips and being in passing lanes with his shortness um, and lack of length. Like, you know, and it's just, and it's, that still scares me. And I just don't, it's just the giants. Like we're not going to get that this year. Oh, hopefully Okereke is that we'll have one guy who can do that. But we don't have those linebackers. We haven't drafted them. We haven't used third round picks on them. We haven't used fourth. We haven't used fifth. We used McFadden was what a fourth round pick actually. Or a fifth round pick. Michael McFadden was a fifth round pick. Fifth round. Belton and Bellinger were the the fourth. We used the fifth uh, on to try to do, but it wasn't that style player like you talked about. We didn't see that Indiana either. We weren't expecting to be that. I termed him as like a Leo Chanel light. Basically, it's how I seem saw him on film in that system. So we'll see what happens there. But definitely wasn't a discouraging effort from McFadden. I think if anything, this was a solid game for him in his first preseason debut. I agree. And one more thing, UDFA Deontay Johnson out of Toledo had some pop on contact, had showed a little bit more range than I expected from his Toledo tape as well. Possibly he could secure a roster spot, but I mean, it's a little bit of a long shot, but the linebacker position, the Giants need competent players. I wouldn't say he flashed, but he did have a little bit of pop when he was hitting.
that's a good sleeper to keep an eye on Nick as potentially like maybe the last guy to make the roster type of thing. If special teams is going well with him, I don't know that. Obviously we don't have any insight into that. We're not getting that any information from Thomas McGay, who obviously is, uh, has other things to worry about right now, (laughs) given Brian Dable is looking at him last night, but we don't need to get into that. I want to wrap up with one final thing, Nick, that made me think of you when I was watching this game on the broadcast side of things, the offensive pass interference um, that wasn't called with Deontay Banks. Like, Years ago, you called this to me, how like one of the worst, most inefficient, one of the biggest inefficiencies in the NFL is how these referees coach, uh, not coach, how these referees um, rule on interference. I mean, dude, if that's not offensive pass interference, when you literally have no separation from your defensive back, you have to push him in the face mask to get separation. Then we're just at a bad point right now as far as the game called. Maybe this is like big NFL coming in and rigging this shit to the point of saying like, we need offense, we need points, points is what sells. So we're just going to call it unfairly for the offensive players. But in my opinion, like we, we heard weeks ago, the running backs went on a zoom call to try to figure out like the contract situation. The DBs need to get on a zoom call, Nick, like get everyone together and be like, we're getting screwed here by the NFL on interference calls. Like it is impossible for this to go on like this. Like it's not fair at all because we know for sure if a defensive back ever pushed the face mask of a receiver, you'd have every single ref running in throwing flag from the fucking back judge. Watch the offensive line would be charging in there to throw a freaking flag on the play. But when oh, a yeah. receiver does it, it's all okay. And they're like, oh, there was no flag on the play. I'm like, no flag on the play. What are we talking about here? This is the most, like, it has to be called fairly. To me, I don't care about points and stuff like that. I think it should be called even, like, straight down the line, 50-50. Whatever is considered interference by the D-back should also be considered interference by the receiver. Because when a ball is in the air, in my opinion, Nick, it's everyone's right to the ball, the defender and the receiver. But obviously, I don't think the NFL has that same memo or is calling it like that because otherwise we wouldn't be seeing things like this happen. So it just frustrated me. It made me think of you who was like the first person to call this out to me like years ago. Like, just look at how unfairly interference is called in the NFL for some players. But yeah, I just want to get that rant out. It's so skewed to the offense. It's tough in these streets being a defender, specifically a defensive back sucks but anyway thanks again for everyone tuning into the big blue banter podcast that was the all 22 film review of what we took away from the defense keep it locked and loaded hit that like button subscribe find us on itunes do this five-star review more content coming this week have a great weekend and we'll talk to you soon I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. (laughs) Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.